not everybody is going to feel safe at home whether you're in an abusive relationship whether you're in a home that does not is not safe for you to be in your body might not feel safe there and it might be better for you to give birth at a birth center or a hospital but where you feel safe matters welcome back to the in between mama podcast a place to rest in between who you are and who god is calling you to be I'm your host, Riley Sandral, and I'm really excited today to do another solo episode. Um, This is actually episode 11, which is being recorded last, Um, and a little series of events. I didn't end up getting a guest for episode 11, and so I did a poll on Instagram to see what y'all were interested in, and this is what you came up with. So today we're going to be talking about my top 10 topics to research when you're newly pregnant. Um, now I know not everyone is going to be pregnant or ever be pregnant, but I feel like these are really important topics that we just as a society should know more about, um, as wisdom to pass on to our friends and our family members. And so I hope that you listen in, even if you're not currently pregnant or you already have been pregnant, because I think this is just something that in general, if we knew more about, we can encourage people. And when you're pregnant or, um, about to give birth or newly postpartum and you're in this fog sometimes all of the time really we really just need support so let us support each other a little bit better right okay so anyway let's jump right into this so I don't ramble so my first topic is providers and your environment that you're going to be giving birth in I could go on a really long spiel about this and I do on um an upcoming podcast that is coming out, a friend of mine, I just realized it's not going to be yet, so I can't announce it, but I will advertise when I go, uh, when that podcast episode airs, because I go on and on and on about the importance of finding a good provider long before um, you ever give birth, but even before you get pregnant, and um, also about the importance of doing your research and allowing yourself time to make those decisions that you don't have to just jump right into a new provider. You can shop around a little bit and interview people and you are not committed to them at any point. Like you can fire them at any point they work for you. So I know that gets complicated with insurance and I talk a little bit more about that on her podcast. So I don't want to go into that too much, but I think it's really important to start with a good foundation because if you start with a good foundation no matter what happens, if you have a good provider who respects you, who respects your right to choose, who respects the fact that you are an autonomous person and that your baby has rights, that you're going to be better off because as things come up, you're going to be able to have open, honest dialogue with your provider and it's not going to be an issue because you can just say no and they're not going to do anything. They're not going to be upset. So, um, because they respect you. So start with a good foundation. That's very important. So when you're going into your initial appointments, have a list of questions to find out, um, how they handle things. And if you have any red flags about them, move on, find someone else. Cause you're allowed to, you're allowed to interview doctors before you hire them officially, you know? So that's the first thing. This my second recommendation of things to research prenatals. So there is a lot to this that I could go into. And I also want to preface all of this by it's not medical advice. I'm not a medical professional and I'm not giving you medical advice. I am just another mom who has been through um, 
few pregnancies, two of which resulted in Earthside babies, and I am just really passionate about people knowing their options. So, prenatals are not as cut and dry as they are made out to be. If it comes from a drugstore, I pretty much don't recommend it because you want to look into the quality of your vitamins that you're taking. Um, and you also want to be super aware of where they're coming from. And then it's also important to recognize what your body actually needs in pregnancy. To preface all of this, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit country. I am a little bit country. I'm a little bit crunchy. And it's important to me that I am receiving, um, good quality minerals from good quality sources. And so I'm going to go more towards beef liver and oysters and, um, uh, what else? So I'm going to go towards methylated folate over just traditional folic acid um, because I have the gene mutation MTHFR, but I just recommend that in general. And then um, I got my prenatal through Seeking Health, I believe is the name of the company. I'll drop the correct name here in the video um, and in the show notes when I remember it because it's been a hot minute since I had to take it. Um, but I also super, super support trying something like putting an arrangement together so beef liver capsules are great oyster capsules are great um or taking beef liver straight my uh doula and midwife love that option too I personally could not do that especially during pregnancy but if that's your jam that's a great option so looking into your prenatals and not just grabbing what's on the general shelf important Number three. Oh, I also wanted to mention, I'm not going to be going into the exact scientific reasons behind all of these things because I don't want to mess it up and jade you. And I also really think it's important that we take our time and intentionality to go and research topics ourselves and to not just take the word of every person on the internet. So I know I'm another one of those voices on the internet, but this voice is going to encourage you to go and do your own research and to look into things and when I say do your own research, look beyond WebMD and your Google listings. You know, there's books that you can read. Um, there's different influencers who or different doctors online who can offer resources, courses, books, studies that you can look into and read. Um, so go beyond just Google. Also, don't use Google as your search engine if you can avoid it. So anyway, moving on. Number three that I recommend researching is the cascade of interventions. I had a home birth and I had a hospital birth. My first birth was a hospital birth and I knew a little bit about the cascade of interventions before I gave birth, but um, I thought that if I just put everything on that list that I didn't want to happen on my birth plan, that the nurses would listen and that the doctors would listen and that things would just go how I wanted them to. Well, that's that didn't happen. And so the thing that I learned from that is the first intervention starts when you leave your home. And there's a saying that you birth your baby where you made your baby. <laughs> and I totally support that for the most part. I feel like our bodies are safest at home. And when we leave, they go into, um, they can go into fight or flight mode. They can go, they can just completely shut down. And you often see contractions stop or lessen or become irregular when you leave your house because your body does not feel safe. So, um, basically I saw that happen for me and it was not a fun time. And my birth or my labor, I was in labor for a while with my second son, things just 
happened. Now, I did have a whole day of Prodroma labor, but that was a whole other type of thing. But my second day that I was in labor, a week later, I have my I posted my story a few weeks back, so you can go back and listen to that. But when I had that second day of labor and I actually had him, it went a lot smoother and a lot faster because my body felt safe and it felt comfortable. Now, I do want to put out a disclaimer that which I don't love disclaimers, but this one I feel like is important, that not everybody is going to feel safe at home. Whether you're in an abusive relationship, whether you're in a home that does not is not safe for you to be in, your body might not feel safe there, and it might be better for you to give birth at a birth center or a hospital. But where you feel safe matters. As far as medical reasons, um, the only one that I can really think of other than possibly preeclampsia, again, this is not medical advice. There are some aspects to preeclampsia that I personally believe can be prevented, but that starts earlier on. That goes back to researching your providers and your environment and your nutrition to begin with, because a lot of these things that end you up, that, that your provider might say, hey, you need to be in the hospital for this, or you need to get induced for this reason, could have probably been prevented by a provider choice or a uh, nutrition choice. That being said, sometimes you do have to be in the hospital. The only other one that I know for sure is if you have a if your baby is transverse and they are absolutely not moving, um, and you're in labor and they're absolutely not moving. So there's a couple aspects to that, which again I won't go fully into because I encourage you to do your research. This is what this whole episode is about: doing your research, not why you should do it or why you should be doing or not doing these things. Anyway, moving on. So research the cascade of interventions, understand what happens as soon as you leave your house, and then how that can cascade into other things that you might not necessarily want. Moving on to number four, which kind of connects to that, is talking about induction. And I feel like it's really important to research induction because in a lot of pregnancies, especially if you have a traditional OBGYN or a traditional provider or even some midwives, um, especially if it's a certified, a certified nurse midwife, some CPMs too, but for the most part, OBs and CNMs will often, everything's great throughout your entire pregnancy and then you get to the end and they're like, okay, let's talk induction. Why? Not Typically, 99% of the time, it's not because you actually need induction because your, your baby needs to get out. Because if it's an actually an emergency, they're going to be wheeling you off to the OR, like right then. Not in a couple hours, not in a couple days, not in a couple weeks. So it's not necessary most of the time. And so I really encourage you to look into induction because induction is one of those interventions that can lead to a lot of other interventions that you might not necessarily want and that aren't good for your body or your baby. And so I really recommend looking into the risk of Pitocin and then learning about just the general risks of induction and why it might not necessarily be the best for you or your baby. The stress put on your body, the artificial hormones they're using, specifically Pitocin, please, please, please look into Pitocin and how it's not necessarily certified for pregnancy. Why it's not necessarily, like, just just look into it, okay? Um, yeah, I could go on and on about that, but I'm not going to. Number five postpartum interventions so just in the cascade of interventions does not just end the moment that you push that baby out 
it also goes into postpartum. So look into fundal massages and why you might not actually have to have them. You know, those lovely massages if you have given birth in a hospital. Even at home, thank God my um, CPM didn't do fundal massages and used other means to make sure that my uterus was contracting correctly with a very gentle, loving touch and certain herbs. The fundal massages where they push down on your uterus as hard as they possibly can, in my personal opinion, is abusive and it's not right. And I stand by that, that if a nurse is just taking this as like, yeah, this is what we do. We push on your uterus as hard as we possibly can immediately after you've given birth and for the subsequent 24 to 72 hours after. And you just take that and go, yeah, that makes sense please have it done to you and then think twice because it's incredibly painful and not necessary. So look into that because you can say no to those FYI. And again, if you went back to number one and you have a good provider who listens to you and who also understands birth and postpartum outside of the realm of the traditional medical world, you might not even have to deal with any of these to begin with. So that's why I believe that is number one. Anywho, so fundal massages, Pitocin postpartum, look into this because it is not the most beneficial thing for your body and it can cause um, hemorrhaging even worse than what, like, they say it's to prevent hemorrhaging, but it can actually cause more blood loss um, and it can deplete you of other minerals that your body is rapidly trying to replenish. So golden hour, immediate skin to skin, breastfeeding, like a true uninterrupted golden hour to more than just an hour of uninterrupted skin to skin, breastfeeding, like latching you're not actually breastfeeding right away which we can go into that later um that's number eight but understanding how that your body knows what to do if it's just left alone it's pretty amazing so look into that um erythromycin which is the eye goop they put on your baby that's important to know about um the vitamin k shot which is not actually a true vitamin it's synthetic um most versions of it have has a black box warning. I'm not going to go super into this because YouTube and TikTok like to flag this. Um, because of Big Pharma. I'm not, I'm just, this is that kind of podcast. So just understand that. Um, same thing with Hep B. Please just look into it. Look into the actual inserts, the actual warnings, the actual ingredients what it can do to your baby's brain, the blood-brain barrier. These are all things to research. Please, please, please research them and make an informed decision based off of that because your hospital is not going to give you an informed decision and you, if you're giving birth at a hospital. And um, yeah, just please look into it. And then number six kind of goes with all of that and I'm not even going to say the actual word because I don't want it to get flagged, but inoculations. Please look into inoculations that goes with all of the inserts that I was just talking about. Justtheinserts.com is a great, great, great resource because she goes based off of the actual CDC inserts so no one can tell you that you're not actually looking at the information correctly. Um, 
all I want to say on this is you are capable. You are qualified as a parent to look into this and to make an informed decision. You do not have to have a medical degree to make this decision. And God gave you these babies and it is your responsibility to understand what you're putting in their bodies and what the effect can be. And I believe it's your responsibility to understand the monetary advantages behind these things that are given routinely. If you really don't know what I'm talking about, please Google inoculations and you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, Yes, that's all I'm going to say about that. But it is your responsibility and you are qualified and don't let anyone tell you that you are not allowed to make this decision or to make a decision that results in no, never over my dead body. Okay. Um, number seven, safe sleep and co-sleeping. Now, I know a lot of parents that choose just to pass over this because they would never co-sleep and it's not safe. And I understand that there are a lot of safe or a lot of sleep related accidents. They're tragic. They're terrible. And almost all of them go back to the thing that I mentioned before and SIDS, um, which look into how in 2020 when infants weren't going on their routine schedule, all of a sudden SIDS just disappeared. That's not a coincidence. Um, but basically, I recommend looking into co-sleeping and understanding the sleep safe se- the safe sl- sleep seven safe seven sleep. I don't know. Look it up. But basically, understand how to safely co-sleep. Put those boundaries into place. Get the equipment that you need, whether it's going to be a bedside bassinet or whether you're literally going to have your baby in the bed. If your partner needs to leave the bed, um, if you need to have a floor bed, whatever needs to happen, because. The more unsafe option that can happen is that you have your newborn and you're exhausted and you just need them to sleep. And guess what? They sleep on you. They sleep next to you because that's where they feel safe. That is a biologically normal sleep. Um, It's easier for breastfeeding. It's more beneficial for your hormones and your healing and baby and their healing as they're becoming a human basically learning how to exist outside of the womb um they already are human but learning how to exist outside of the womb it's natural it's biological and it's normal and you don't want I don't want anyone else to tell you anything else other than that but I understand there are risks so understanding how to safely co-sleep and the benefits of that I feel like are really important to learn before you even have your baby because you can go into it with a gung-ho I'm absolutely will not co-sleep but then when you're in it and you're exhausted and you absolutely need sleep and then you're just doing it or you're doing it in unsafe ways like sitting like sleeping sitting up sleeping in a um, falling asleep in your rocker like those that's not a safe way to sleep with your baby and so understanding how to do it safely will save you so much stress and guilt in the moment because you'll know how to do it um I was that first parent that with my oldest and I was falling asleep with him in unsafe positions and finally I just learned how to co-sleep in a safe way and it changed the game and I just co-slept right off the bat with my second and oh my goodness I I was sleeping better I, our breastfeeding journey lasted longer, like so many, so many benefits that I would say from co-sleeping with him. 
and my husband still slept in the bed and we still had a sex life and my son slept in our room until he was eight or nine months old maybe 10 months and he was in a pack and play by the time he was four months old so co-sleeping does not have to be forever my gosh the sun just like is coming through I apologize but co-sleeping does not have to be forever and it can just be a really great temporary thing for your what is called the fourth trimester or honestly longer if you want it to be so um number eight breastfeeding again this is like the same thing as co-sleeping that you think you're gonna know how to do it you think it's gonna come naturally and honestly it often just does not and so I really recommend understanding the mechanics of breastfeeding um looking in or reading books Ina May's guide to breastfeeding I think that's the name of it is amazing Anime's Guide to Childbirth, also an amazing book. Please, please, please read that, even if you're not planning on doing a home birth. It's amazing. Um, so basically, learning how to breastfeed before you even have a baby, understanding different holds, understanding how your milk comes in. Like I talked about earlier, during golden hour, you're just going to be latching, you're going to be snuggling your baby. Um, and I do want to note that if you've had previous babies and you haven't gotten to have that beautiful golden hour, I understand the hurt that comes with that. I understand that little sting that feels like, oh, I didn't get to have that, and that wasn't even a choice. I get it. That choice was also taken from me with my first, so I understand that, and that's why I advocate so much for all of the other aspects of it, but if you haven't had a baby yet, golden hour is absolutely incredible. It's just a time for you to connect with your baby, for them to start latching and learning how to um, find your nipple and uh, it's just a beautiful process and so learning all about that but then learning the signs to be looking out for learning about tongue ties learning about tension learning about getting adjustments after your baby is born because it helps so so much Um, understanding myofunctional therapy knowing things about um breathing and your baby's lungs and how those are cleared afterwards and so many different aspects of it it's incredible um about like immune health from the uh your baby's mouth to your breast and how your body communicates about what they need it's so amazing and then also having a list of resources of lactation consultants whether it's virtual or in person that can help you if you need help because those first couple weeks are really hard and it can be uncomfortable it's not supposed to be painful for a long time but it can be uncomfortable so arming yourself with all these resources before you have your baby will set you up for such a better breastfeeding experience because you will actually have the information and the knowledge and the tools. And then when you're absolutely exhausted and losing your mind, you know exactly where to go for help. All right, number nine, postpartum mineral replenishment. So this is something that is like literally never talked about um, because postpartum care in America is awful. They feed you crap. If you're in the hospital, they feed you crappy hospital food for a couple of days and then send you off on your way and say, hey, I'll see you in six weeks to let you know if you can have sex or not. That's horrific care. Having experienced the hospital model of care and then the midwifery model of care, night and day difference. Um, My midwife was coming back at like 24 hours, maybe 48 and 72, and then like uh, the one week mark. And I think she saw me at the three or four week mark and then the six week mark. 
and maybe even one more time after that. I don't know. I saw her multiple, multiple times. She was checking in via text. We were talking about minerals. We were talking about um, what kind of foods that I needed to replenish, vitamins I needed to be taking, like so many different aspects. And um, it was a night and day difference, my postpartum recovery experience with my first versus my second. My second, I was feeling great. I was staying in bed. I was resting. I was sleeping a lot. I was breastfeeding and I was drinking so many liquids, not just water, but things that would replenish my mineral supply that I lost when I lost all that blood from having a baby. And when I say losing blood, I'm not talking about like hemorrhaging. I'm talking about just normal blood loss when your placenta is left undisturbed. I'm going to add that as a bonus thing that you need to look into. Um delivering your placenta on your own time and then not cutting the cord until it is white like not this cute little delayed cord clamping that the hospital talks about as like a minute or two no I'm talking about like an hour 45 minutes to an hour and they don't like doing that in the hospital because heaven forbid they have to wait around a little bit um but if you're at home it's typically not a problem and it's typically recommended to wait until it's white and not pulsing like there's no more blood your baby gets all their blood I wish I would have made that a main point, but that's a bonus thing. Look into that. But with your postpartum mineral replenishment, I'm talking about you, mama, getting everything that you need to heal properly, to give your body what it needs because it has just been through the ringer for 10 months growing this baby and giving them everything they needed. Now you need to replenish. And this will also assist in your breastfeeding journey because really a lot of supply issues have to do with this. Tongue ties are a very real thing, and I definitely recommend looking into that. But if your body is not getting what it needs, after that baby is out of you, your body no longer cares. Like, it it wants to give your baby milk and everything your baby needs still, but your body is like, I need to heal me now, and I'm going to give you everything you need to heal. Now, some moms, that doesn't work that way, and their body literally will just keep pumping out that milk until they're done. Um, but for, I feel like a lot of moms that I've seen is is a common issue of once they get on what they need, their body starts working properly. Um, but the key is doing that from the beginning. Now me with my breastfeeding journey, I had some issues. My son had some tie issues, my second one. Um, and our journey ended up, my first one ended at three months. My second journey ended at six months with my uh, youngest. And I did the postpartum replenishment, but I didn't do enough of it. And I really wish I would have kept going and really focused on that outside of the first six weeks to 12 weeks. And I feel like my journey probably would have lasted a little bit longer if I had had more support in that area as well. And like I said, this was my second time around. So you keep learning things every single time. Anyway, okay. I don't want this to get super, super long. And we're already at like 30-ish minutes. So I want to wrap it up. But my number 10, last thing. I wouldn't say it's the most important, but I would definitely say it's important. I kind of went from, like, pregnancy through older ages. Infant gut health and best practices around feeding and introducing food. This is another important thing to research because at this point, you're gone to your pediatrician. Hopefully, you're with a pediatrician who is supportive, um, who understands gut health, who understands all of these different things and is not trying to ruin your kid's gut health with those inoculations that I was talking about. Um, 
is this biased? 100%. Yes, I, I am biased in this area. Um, you can't, you can't accuse me of being biased because I, I will accuse myself. But if you understand infant gut health and um, how your baby's gut operates, you will understand that it is important to wait until they are ready to try solids. Um, we're not doing this oatmeal crap anymore. We're not doing adding rice cereal. Uh, we're not doing all of these things before six months. The amount of pediatricians I still see recommending trying solids at three months is astounding because the research is out there. Please, please stop doing this. Um, what's funny is that it takes about 10 years on average for pediatricians to get updated information, which is asinine in this day and age, but that is the reality. So maybe don't take everything your pediatrician says with as like Bible truth because it's most likely not. Um, even the more holistic ones, like you gotta be careful. Okay. Go with your mama gut. God gave you an intuition and the Holy Spirit for a reason. Um, anyway, all of that to say, look into gut health, look into knowing the actual signs that your child is ready to start solids. It's not just like six months on the dot. It's also, there's also other signs of sitting up unassisted, like not slouching at all, being able to fully sit up, head control, um, hand control, and then certain digestive markers too. So look into all of these things, um, have it on the back of your mind when it comes to that time. And then the types of foods that you're introducing, introducing superfoods, introducing things like bone broth, introducing things with minerals that are going to, um, with really good quality sources as well that will help just strengthen your baby's gut. Because basically as they're starting to, as their gut is developing and all that good bacteria is starting to like build itself up, you want to be introducing things that are good for that and not things like sugar and um, processed processed grains and things with glyphosate in it that is just going to attack their body and run it down. Also remember their immune systems are being built up right now so you want to keep in mind these things so that you don't basically immediately tear down what you just spent so long building up. So all again all of this was very much in layman's terms like I'm not going super medical and technical and like I'm not going to just read a piece of paper to tell you all of these things because I want you to take things into your own hands and I want you to feel like you understand and I feel like when we're just spoon-fed information, that doesn't happen. And also, I'm not, like, the expert on all of these things. It's things that I've personally researched as well because I found that they are actually quite important in my child-rearing years. So, all of that to say, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something. I hope you got something out of it. Pass it on to another mom, another friend, um, another pregnant friend who or wanting to be, or a woman who is planning on adopting a baby. That's also important. Fostering kids, this is all important things to know. Um, so yeah, I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Pass it along. You can like, follow, share, subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of the above. We're almost at the end of the season. Next week is the last episode of season one. And I'm going to take a quick break and try to come back in season two, hopefully early spring, early summer. And in the meantime, possibly just posting some videos on YouTube. And of course, 
maintaining social media stuff. So thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you have the most beautiful blessed day and yeah, I'll see you next time.